Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. I'm Maria Espadinha, senior reporter of FT Advisor and financial advisor. Joining me today is Ian Brown, pensions expert at Old Mutual Wealth and Paul Stocks, financial service director at Dobson & Hodge. We will be discussing assistant clients in defined benefit transfers, how advisors should be dealing with these customers, and what can advisors expect in this area from the Financial Conduct Authority and the Financial Abundance Service. Ian, I would start with you. The latest FCA figures showed that almost 10,000 customers who were advised against transferring out did so as an assistant client. Is this an alarming number? Should we be worried about this? I certainly thought it was an alarming number when you consider where we are with uh, British Steel. So 8,000 people transferred out of British Steel and uh, £2.8 billion came out of that scheme. And those people were advised to transfer. Yet you've got, like you say, nearly 10,000 insistent clients and they've been advised not to transfer, yet they've still done it. And that was £3.3 billion. So, yeah, I think that's a really big piece because we've obviously seen the scrutiny on the British Steel piece, yet this is actually a a bigger element of the market. So I I, I think this is really interesting and I think it's something that we should be focusing on as an industry. And I think maybe the FCA haven't yet and it's something they should be turning their attention to. Mm -hmm. Paul, do you think that this is something the FCA isn't paying enough attention? What is your position on when the client is considered insistent? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, we don't get put in that position very often. And I I can't think of a case in the last three or two or three years where we've been in a situation where where we've faced that. And we certainly do get clients or not clients, uh, potential clients contacting us, asking us to sign forms to say they've had advice. And I think that's where, you know, the risk is because... There's a bit of a detachment there from consumer perception to, to regulation and protection. Interesting what Ian said. I, I'd not seen those numbers. And like I say, I think the, the, the profession's not even gazed. The focus is on the British deal situation, and yet more people have potentially transferred money without or against advice despite that. I think the danger is the regulator can only go so far, and you know, one of my sort of thoughts before the call was or the discussion was you know where does advice stop and you know the need to save people from themselves and I think there's so much subjectivity around this it's a very difficult argument to have. And is the definition of what an assistant client is clear for for advisors? As far as as I'm concerned it is. I mean there was a bit of a an argument probably two or three years ago around what what it was but I mean you know as far as I'm concerned and and Looking at the, you know the FCA details, it is pretty categoric that if the client is going against the advice and it's an insistent client, I think where the subtleties can lie is well, what what is being insisted on and what isn't. So is it the transfer or is it the underlying investments or is it something else? And I think one of the biggest dangers is that all the potential issues have been put into one melting pot, and and that's then been looked at. Whereas there's there's lots of different layers to financial advice and, and again from an assistant client perspective what is you know is it, is it the high level advice is don't transfer or is it well let's let's advise you to transfer but let's put you here well I don't want to go there I want to go here so it's different layers of, of insistence if that makes sense. Mm. Um, Ian do you agree on, on the stage that Paul was mentioning do you think there are other dangers for advisors from insistent clients? 
I certainly think that you know, insistent clients is a real risk for an advice firm if you're if you're dealing with insistent clients. Like Paul, I, I don't think it's it's an area where advisors really want to attract that type of customer into their business. It's fraught with risk. And it's really interesting point Paul's made around the nuances, whether it's, it's what they actually being insistent about, whether it's the advice to transfer itself or where the money's actually ending up being invested. I think it's a real challenge to to get to grips with why are they insisting? Why are they really pushing on that subject? It's a very difficult topic to manage. And do you think that DFCA rules need to be more strict on on how advisors should deal with insistent clients? Well, the rules at the moment is, is, is more like guidance. When you've got guidance, it's always open to interpretation. And whereas when you get a, a, a clearly defined rule, it's more black and white. And I think that's certainly an area where the industry would benefit from if this was this is more a rules-based environment rather than a guidance-based environment. Mm -hmm. um, Paul, do you think there would be an advantage for advisors to have rules from the FCA in this area? I mean, as I say, look, looking at the, their, their requirements, I mean, they do set out step-by-step, step, A, what, what is deemed to be insistent client and B, what's expected of a firm in dealing with an insistent client. Turning it on its head a little bit, I think the, the biggest fear would be repercussions from falls and... and You know, so again, with the FCA, yeah, we pretty much understand that. But where you sometimes have some head scratching is when, when you read articles where FOS has found in certain cases. And, and I think there was a case, I might be wrong, but fairly recently on the Newswires, where someone had been an insistent client and then had gone to FOS and won. Now, I think the argument is always we might not get the full details of the case. Um, and again, it's where does the insistence lie? But I think for us as a firm, you know, the FCA expectation of insistent clients is, is pretty pretty simple to, to, to adhere to if we, if we needed to. But I think it's more, you know, the risks are, well, okay, you might do something in good faith against your advice, but in good faith, and then the client then holds you to account for something else, or obviously your PI, <laughs> risks on PI, you know, as a, as a firm when you're doing your, your submissions, they ask that question. So again, it, I think... The, the danger is, and just sort of turning turning this on its head again, you know, we, I don't think we're here to be policemen. We're here to advise people. And whilst I don't want to be seen to be encouraging people to do things that's not in their best interest, sometimes what advice is, is, is what we feel to be appropriate, not what the client sees as maybe most aligned with their objectives. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for us, as I say, false would be, you know, a greater... Uh, Fear, if that's the right term, because of the the lack of clarity around what FOS would look for, whereas the FCA, I feel, are, are quite clear on that. Mm -hmm. That would be my, my next question is, is there a kind of pattern on the FOS decisions concerning assisted clients? Can firms know what to expect, um, Ian? I think it's still early days in terms of FOS decisions, in terms of looking back at cases that have come through that process. But certainly the ones that I've seen, a small handful... The FOS are, are really looking at whether this client is vulnerable, whether they've really understood the advice that's been provided and the risks that the advisor is trying to set out to the customer. No, this is what we're trying to, to manage and this is why my advice is, is such as it is. And they usually find that the advice file, effectively your evidence that you've submitted to say this is what happened at the time, is not robust enough to be able to defend the claim. So they usually find on 
on in favour of the claimant. And this shows you the, the, the detailed process you really need to go through with insistent clients and how difficult it is to evidence precisely what the situation was at the time. Why was this person insisting? Why were they going against your advice? It's it's a real challenge. Mm -hmm. Paul, you don't take insistent clients, but if you did, or if you have to give any kind of guidance to a fellow advisor that does take insistent clients, what can how can they protect themselves? I think I'm, it's almost echoing Ian's point. I think the real danger is when people make a complaint, invariably it's with the benefit of hindsight. And as an advisor, you don't have that at the time you're giving the advice. And I think that is that is the real, the real, real danger. And obviously, there's, there's professional firms out there who whose job is to help people make claims or complaints. And I think that you know this is this is the real the real danger for, for firms. And I'm certainly not saying firms shouldn't do it. I'm not. It's not me. My place to tell people how to run the firms. You know, and I'm sure we will have situations where an existing client may come to us and we may advise us to do something and they decide not to do that. And if it's an existing client, I think we'd certainly look at it with through a different uh, viewpoint than someone who's just, you know, approached us for advice and then wants to go against it. But I think it is this, this minefield that everybody f is almost scared, <laughs> scared to, 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 to do this work for, for people. And it's, it's bordering on stopping clients potentially getting hold of the money and you know the phone calls we have had where we've explained to give advice on safeguarded benefits this will be our fee and on more than one occasion you know it's been put to me that which we're making people pay to access their own money now these aren't clients these are people who've found us on you know advisor registers etc and you know you can understand the frustration but then again as a firm you have to do what you have to do to give advice and the cost is the cost and from the consumer perspective, do Ian, do they understand what has been being named as an insistent client? Do they get it? Well, this is where uh, the, the strength of the advice process should come through. They should understand. The advice process should really spell it out in terms of why the recommendation is what it is, the risks that you're trying to manage. And you should actually test that understanding. If you're dealing with an insistent client, one of the steps you should really should take is to test to make sure that they understand the advice that's been provided and, and why you're saying what you're saying. And I think that's one of the things that when it comes to FOS, uh, you need to be able to demonstrate that on your file. Did the client understand? And one of the good practices I've, I've seen mentioned is actually getting the clients to write down in their own words why they want to do what they want to do, uh, rather than just giving a pro forma and asking them to sign it. I think... If an advisor was to do that, that they're asking for trouble. Uh, really, you do need to get the the clients to write it down in their own hand. And you really need to evidence that piece. I think that's really important. And Paul, if all firms um, stop accepting um, insistent clients, what will be the you know the future of this, these consumers? Where will they go? Will just they just have to leave it at that? Don't they also have a right to try to put their point across? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the biggest issue. I mean, I'm aware of a leading GPP group personal pension provider who will only accept transfers with a uh, positive advice. So, again, just to be clear, we haven't done this, but if, if the, the requirement of the regulation for safeguarded benefits is that the client has or the person has sought advice, the provider doesn't need to be told or doesn't need to know what that advice is they just need to be told this person has been advised but there's certainly one one big firm out there that i'm aware of there may be more who not only 
obviously they require that because that's regulation, but they require the advice to be positive to transfer. So that then, for me, is going beyond the regulation and can quite easily leave clients high and dry because if the client, the advice is not to do something, but the client, for whatever reason, wants to do that, but then the providers say, well, we're not going to let you do that either. Again, it, and don't get me wrong, you know, we've got to look out for people, et cetera, et cetera. But there, there could come a point where people are just sat with a pot of money and, and, and physically can't do what they want to do with it because regulation is there to protect them, but then everybody is, is, is fearful of, of doing what they, they could do but stopping them do it. And again, you know, you know, one of my thoughts before the, the discussion was around, you know, ultimately you're going to have this shrinking market and there will come a point where, you know, potentially people will find whatever they want to do, they are unable to, not because the regulation stops them doing it, because everybody, nobody's willing to, to do that for them. Ian, do you think that this is a real danger of people going beyond the regulation and maybe the FCA will need to come in and say, this is the rules, you don't need to go beyond this point? Well, you've obviously touched on the specific rules around insistent clients, but there are other rules that people need to be conscious of. You know, that there are vulnerable customer rules as well that we need to think about. I mean, if someone's insisting on doing something against the advice of a, an expert, a professional, is that a red flag to say this customer is vulnerable? Do you need to investigate that further? You know, in in many instances, people are being insistent because it could be that they've actually hidden a piece of information from from the advisor. They might have, for example, very significant unsecured debt on a credit card or something, and so they might be trying to insist on this transaction for a, for a hidden reason. And that's that's something that could mean that they're they're vulnerable, and that there might be alternatives that can be recommended or, or or done to actually help that individual rather than the transaction that's being discussed. So I, I take Paul's point in, in terms of you know, where, where does the responsibility lie, but there are other things that need to be taken into account alongside the insistent customer rules themselves. Currently, the FCA is looking at um, contingent charging ban. It has new rules for DB transfer advice. Do you think that this will be an area when after all this is done and hopefully dusted uh, that they will be focusing on next? So done and dusted. I, I don't think the FCA rather done, be done and dusted on any topic. Uh, <laughs> what came out yesterday, I no, certainly caught me by surprise. It, it wasn't what I was expecting to see. I think there's real potential for the market in terms of DB transfer advice to shrink in terms of just a, simply the number of advisors who are willing to do that type of business. But we'll have to wait and see whether that's actually the case. But I'm not seeing any re restriction in demand. So this is a very much a supply side issue rather than a demand side issue. And so where, so where do these people go? Uh, I think it's a challenge for all of us within the industry because when there is these kind of issues, it, it could be that it's uh, a breeding ground for fraudsters, for example. And that's certainly not something I'd want to see. And I, we obviously need to all as an industry ensure that we, we protect people from that. Mm -hmm. Paul, what are your expectations on, on, on further regulation? You mean in respect to the contingent, the contingent charging ban? Um, no, in respect to insistent clients in light of the recent rules. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, like I say, I, I feel the FCA are, are quite clear on, on, on what's expected of categorically clear. So I think the issue is almost, you know, going back to Ian's point, is, is more the unintended consequences of well, what happens 
when everybody decides not to do it anymore. <laughs> the risks are too great and you know the PI goes up, et cetera, et cetera. And and whilst you know absolutely there's there's, there's been you know bad practice going on, I, I think you know the question needs to be is is continued charging the, the root cause or is it something else? Is it something else? Is it you know and is it are we going to find it's layers layers of an onion that ultimately people are doing something and then they move on to the next thing and and I think the the danger is we just end up going not necessarily going around in circles but we find that whatever gets put into place doesn't actually solve the root the root cause of the problem certainly some of the stuff that came out yesterday you know I feel some of it contradicts with some of the MIFID 2 expectations certainly around ongoing ongoing advice to clients so certainly for me it feels like we're getting one message on one piece of legislation albeit coming out of Europe and then a different message potentially coming through from the UK regulator for me I'm going to sit down with a coffee and have a good read through and, but ultimately it's where the dust settles now the, the other point would be and I don't know how true this is but the comment being made today is that this could be coming in quote at the earliest January next year. Now, for me, that's quite soon. Not not from a business perspective, but from a, a regulator coming out in the middle of the summer with with some thoughts and, and it potentially being you know put into place within within sort of five months. It'd be quite quick. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just sort of saying that seems to be moving quite quick. But certainly, you know, there's issues here. Um, but it, I think DB transfers, safeguarded benefits, lots of other things. It, it, it's all similar stuff. And and you know. We're just going to have to see how the regulator feels the need to tackle it. Mm. Um, I guess you're right. We'll have to wait and see. Thank you for joining us today, Ian and Paul. Tune in next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.